1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. And do you have do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and, who you, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let's pray. Father, I... I believe I can speak for every man and woman, young man and young lady in this room, Lord, that we want to glorify you with our bodies. We want to glorify you with our lives. We want to accurately represent you to the world, Lord. God, by our words, by our actions, Lord, by our behavior, Lord, in, 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 including... Um, our behavior when it comes to this issue, the issue of sexuality, Lord. God, there's so much confusion, Father, out in the world. We thank you that your, your word eliminates that confusion and just brings clarity, God, to this whole issue. Satan would confound us. We thank you for bringing light uh, to us, Lord. God, in every area, including this one. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So we're going uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through Paul's uh, first letter to the Corinthian ch uh, church the, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we covered the first 11 uh, verses. And if you were uh, here with us, I think you can agree with me, uh, they were pretty intense. I mean, this is an intense chapter. And guess what? 
it's going to get more intense. It's not lightening up. And, you know, I could tiptoe around the subject for a while, or, man, I could just dive in. So uh, what would you like me to do? Dive in. Dive in. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Some of you are thinking, man, I wish I forgot to turn my clock back forward this morning. Anyway, uh, so verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And so, we live today in 2007 in a society, in a world, in a country that is obsessed with sex. And did you ever wonder, what does God think about this? And, and what is God's heart for the Christian living in the middle of that? Well, go no further than the chapter that, that we're in this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Corinth was as obsessed with sex as our society is. As I've mentioned uh, several times already, really it was much more so. It was the sex capital of the Roman Empire, uh, Corinth was a place where a man went to, uh, who wanted to sort of throw off all his sexual inhibitions, uh, uh, would go, and they'd, he'd literally have a, a sex vacation. There was a Greek proverb at the time, which said this. It says, the voyage to Corinth is not for everyone, referring to even in a pagan society that did not know God, the danger of going there and just diving in the midst uh, 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 of this kind of uh, environment. It had developed a reputation over a period of hundreds of years. Uh, as we said, uh, uh, there had been a, uh, uh, a temple overlooking uh, Corinth on a cliff. Actually, I think you can still see the rubble if you go there today. Uh, it had been a temple to Aphrodite over, uh, overlooking the city. A thousand temple prostitutes worked there. Main ca men came from all over the Roman Empire uh, to engage in idol worship. Uh, only this time the idol was sex, uh, a form of idol worship that is uh, uh, alive and well in the United States of America today. So now... As was always the case, as is always the case, the church was not immune from the ills of the society around it. Now, I was thinking about this. If a church somehow uh, is not from time to time infected with the ills of society around it, it needs to question whether or not it's in society and it's really uh, getting into uh, that area of ministry that, that, that God wants it to get into. But uh, here, uh, it, it, it sort of it, it got out of control in Corinth. Um, but just by way of background, the term sexual immorality here you see the, the term used in chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's the term porneia. We've discussed that. Same word uh, as where we get the uh, word pornography. Uh, it refers to 
uh, any uh, sex outside of a marriage between one man and one woman. One woman, and so sexual immorality. And uh, if there is uh, another thing that has characterized uh, the, the history uh, of, the, uh, of man, it is this. It's, it's, uh, he will go uh, to uh, uh, great extremes to attempt to uh, justify his immorality through philosophy, through religion, and science. And man's been doing this uh, ever since the Garden of Eden. Evolution, the theory of evolution was first popularized uh, in the late 19th century. And it was actually, it was during the life and ministry of Charles Spurgeon. Now, Charles Spurgeon, other than Luther, is probably the most quoted Christian uh, preacher. Uh, uh, he, he just continually quoted today, this morning, uh, across really the world. And he predicted, because this, uh, this uh, theory uh, uh, arose during his time, he predicted that the popularity of the teaching, the teaching itself, it would die out completely uh, within 25 years. He lived in the late 1800s. It was just inconceivable to him uh, that intelligent human beings uh, would continue with a theory that was fundamentally absurd. That man had evolved over time from a single microscopic cell. I mean, that's crazy. And, and, and how, is it, it's, uh, how is it that such an absurd kind of thing can go on lasting uh, 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 more than 25 years? Uh, it wouldn't. It would die out, he said. Well, he was wrong. Spurgeon, for all his greatness, and he was a great man, uh, greatly underestimated man's willingness to latch on to anything, to a belief system, a philosophy, a pseudoscience that would justify his lifestyle. Prominent evolutionist William Provine of Cornell University candidly conceded that if evolution is true, there are five inescapable implications. One, that there is no evidence of God. Two, there is no life after death. Three, there is no absolute foundation for right and wrong. Four, there is no ultimate meaning for life. Five, people really don't have a free will. Now, I do have a certain respect for a man like this, Mr. Provine, because he's just being honest. And there's a lot of dishonesty in this whole area. But he's absolutely right. Evolution provides a man and woman a framework a means to eliminate God in their life, to reject all things spiritual, and, and to eliminate absolute truth, right and wrong. And this allows a person who claims they believe in evolution, to, uh, it, 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 it allows them to fashion any truth they want and, and justify any behavior they're attracted to. So... Um, so uh, what happened with evolution? People have taken science. They have twisted it, manipulated it. They took the trappings of science, scientific terms and scientific jargon, and, and they created this thing called evolution, which really isn't science at all because unlike every other area of science, it cannot be replicated. And, and they use it to justify living outside the authority of God. Now, where am I going with all this? 
Well, we're talking about the subject of Corinth. How did Corinth get to uh, the place that it got to where uh, actually, as we've read, sexual immorality got into the church and then it, it began, as we saw in chapter 5, to be practiced openly and no one was doing anything about it. H how, did it how did it get to that place? Well, uh, people have not only been doing this thing that they've done with evolution in the area of science, uh, they have been doing it actually to this very day. They uh, are attracted to. So Paul had come into Corinth. Let's take the uh, church in Corinth. He had come into the city. He had come with the life-saving, uh, life-changing message of grace through Jesus Christ. Corinth was dying in its sin. Their selfishness, their pride, their rebellion, their lifestyle had accomplished the same thing it had done with every other man and woman throughout history. It had created a wall of separation uh, between uh, them and God. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, came into the city in about 50 A.D. and he said, listen, Corinth, uh, you can be reconciled to God. You can have peace with God. But you can't do it by trying to undo everything that you have done up until now. It's too late for that. You can't do it through good works or acts of uh, penance. You can't uh, do it by trying to live in obedience to God's law. You uh, God is too holy. Your sin is too profound. You can't undo it. But God can. God has. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, and through Him, you can become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ came and did for you what you could have never done for yourself. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for every sin that you ever committed, and, he, and then he was raised to life so that he could give you life. Corinth, listen to me. If you present yourself to God on the basis of your own goodness, you will die. God who is absolutely holy. He, he won't see goodness. Uh, he will see only your selfishness, your pride. He, he will see that lifestyle that you've been living. Uh, he, he'll see your rebellion. However, if you present yourself to God based on your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, you will live. You will be reconciled to God. You will be at peace with God. You will enjoy peace and life with God forever. So that was the message that Paul brought into Corinth. And, and uh, for a city that was living like Corinth, if ever there was good news, that was it. According to the book of Acts, chapter 18, many Corinthians came and responded to that message. They, were, they believed and they were saved. So now Paul has all these people who has believed uh, and are saved. What does he do? Well, he begins to teach them about what their new life in Christ is like. And he starts teaching uh, the same thing. Actually, he taught 
throughout the churches that he had helped uh, uh, raise up. He started uh, teaching things that sounded uh, unbelievably strange, but incredibly wonderful. Things like, you are not under law, but you're under grace. By the way, that's Romans 6.14. You can actually see that verse. You have become dead to the law. Another verse in Romans. You have been delivered from the law. Romans 7, uh, verse 6. And so uh, th these are the things that Paul said in all the churches that he had planned to the Galatians. He said, if you're led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Uh, to the Colossians, he said this incredible thing. God made you alive in Christ, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. That's in Colossians chapter 2. And he would say these things in each church, each, each area, each city that, that, that Christians had, had believed and, and had come to the Lord. Uh, again, what a strange message. But what a wonderful message. No longer do I have to be burdened down with, with rules and regulations, lists of do's and don'ts, uh, wondering if I'm following them closely enough for God to love me, wondering if I'm obeying the law enough to, to get access to him. I, I don't have to, to worry about it any, anymore. So that was taken care of by Jesus, and, and now I've been freed from all that. I'm righteous, and I have access to the Lord based solely on what Jesus did for me. And so a wonderful, life-transforming message that began to turn the world upside down and many thousands in cities throughout the Roman Empire were gathered into the kingdom of God through that message. But listen, rest assured, whenever the Lord is doing a marvelous work through a wonderful message, Satan will be right there with a close counterfeit. Satan doesn't like to see people being freed from the bondage of their lifestyle, of their sin. He doesn't like that. So he came up with a counterfeit faith that kept them under bondage. He began whispering in people's ears, listen to, the, listen to Paul's message. Listen to what he's telling you. This is wonderful. You're no longer under law. Paul did say that. You are dead to the law. You have been delivered from it. Guess what that means? You've been made righteous before God. You can, because of Jesus, you, you, you have been uh, del delivered uh, from uh, the law and, and made perfect before God. And because of that, you've been delivered from the law. You can go and you can do anything you want. You're no longer under the law. So go and, and live it up. And, 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 and so that's what people did. And, and they began to say something that is really is true for a Christian. All things are lawful to you. Did you guys know that? That in Christ, all things are lawful to you. And so they began um, um, saying this and um, 
And, and again, it was, it, was, it was a counterfeit by, by Satan because it was being used to stay in their lifestyle. They wanted to justify their lifestyle uh, just as evolution has, was thrown out by the enemy uh, as bait and it was taken uh, uh, hook, line, and sinker by those who, who didn't want to submit their lives uh, really to the authority of God. Uh, it's, the same thing happened not only in Corinth but actually throughout all the cities where, where the kingdom of God was being uh, was growing uh, and people were, were taking this bait. That's what happened. And so you had a group of people teaching this. They were out there uh, living the same uh, type of life as the rest of Corinth. But hey, I'm a child of God through faith in Christ. I got fire insurance. And, and, and you know, because I got my fire insurance, I can go out there and I can live however I want to live. The written uh, code has been canceled, Paul says. The good news says. Uh, All things are lawful to me. Satan knows the word of God very well. Never forget that. I mean, of all all people to quote it to, notice how he quoted it to to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. This angel knows the word of God. So verse 12, Paul says, all things are lawful for me. Some people think he was being sarcastic here. No, he was just teaching the same thing that he'd been teaching throughout his letters. All things are lawful for me, but he says, all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so he's responding there to this counterfeit message. Now, in the verses previously, we saw a couple weeks ago, he responded in an even more sort of direct way. I mean, he went right between the eyes of these people, and he nailed them there, and, and, and he said to them in verse 9, he says, middle of verse 9, same chapter, do not be deceived. He's uh, speaking to people who who are saying, all things are lawful to me. I can go out and live any kind of life I want to. Do not be deceived, he said in verse 9. He says, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, uh, not talking about a Christian who falls into one of those sins or a Christian who has backslided into that lifestyle. He's talking about someone who attempts to justify their lifestyle by twisting the gospel of grace. And so again, in verse um, 12, he's saying, okay, you're right. All things are lawful. Because you're right, we are no longer under the law uh, as Christians. uh, Because through Christ I have been delivered from the law. You're right, all things are lawful. However, not all things are helpful. Another translation is, uh, not all things are good for me. Uh, And then, uh, again, he says at the uh, the end of uh, verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of 
any. In other words, all things are lawful for me, but I'm not going to be brought under the power of anything. So what Paul is saying is this, though technically uh, everything is lawful for me because I'm no longer under the law, that doesn't mean for a second I'm going to go out and do everything that's contrary to the law. I mean, just because something's lawful to, to me doesn't mean I'm going to go and do it. No, I'm not, uh, I am now under the power of the Holy Spirit, not under the power of those things that are contrary to the law. Is everyone following me here? Nodding heads. So he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So if it was you or me talking, we might say, yeah, I came to Christ to escape the power of sexual immorality, to escape uh, the power of idolatry, to escape the power of drugs, to escape the power of drunkenness, not to be brought back into its power. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. So in Romans 6, I just love Romans 6. Why don't you, um, why don't you uh, uh, turn there? Romans chapter 6. Paul basically says the same thing. The same thing in Romans chapter 6. That's just a little to the left of 1 Corinthians. And in verse 14 of Romans chapter 6, he repeats a verse I've already uh, quoted this morning. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. By the way, I can't tell you how many sermons and writings I've seen by Christian pastors who just, they, they, they have such difficulty with that verse and they try to explain it away. Well, he really didn't mean to say that. Yes, he did. He did mean to say it, and he says it repeatedly. He says, you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Now go back to verse um, 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer in it? In other words, wait a second. I came to Christ to get away from the bondage of sin. I came to Christ uh, to, to free myself from it. Uh, why in the world should we who died to it live any longer in it? I know what sin did to me. I know the damage it inflicted on my life. I know the damage it inflicted on my family, on my physical body. The last thing I want is to go back into it. So that's what Paul is saying. That's not something that you do with grace. The Bible says that when uh, you... Um, when you give your life to, to God, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and the Holy Spirit draws you away from sin. It gives you, sin, because of the Holy Spirit in you, starts tasting really bad. So listen carefully. I speak to every, everyone here in this room. If you are using the grace of God 
as a justification to live a lifestyle that's contrary to the word of God. If you find yourself saying, you know, I'm going to go do this thing. I know it's wrong, and but I know that I'm forgiven and God's going to forgive me. If, if, if you find yourself in a pattern of saying that thing, I have some advice for you. You need to go somewhere to a quiet place and do some really serious business with God. Does a Christian fall into sin? Yes. Do they stumble and fall? Yes. Do they struggle with sin? Yes. But they do not use the grace of God as a license for sin. If that describes you, please don't wait another day. Go to God. Confess your sin. Ask him to come into your life. You need the Holy Spirit to wash you, sanctify you, and justify you. Remember what it says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. Paul's talking to them, and after just saying, do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor adulterers nor adulterers will inherit the kingdom of God. He says in verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you've been using grace as a justification for a sinful lifestyle, that may mean you are not a Christian because the Holy Spirit washes you from that mentality. That's the Word of God speaking. And so if that describes you, do business, go do business with God. He's so merciful. He, he loves to save you, uh, people, with that kind of, uh, of mentality. I remember that mentality was just such a way of life for me. And he saved me from it. Uh, and so uh, the grace of God, that's never something that we do with the grace of God. Then it says in verse 13, very odd to our uh, ears, Americans in 2007. What's he talking about? Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Actually, not as really strange as it may uh, sound. uh, Where's he going with this? Uh, Food for the stomach, the uh, stomach for food. The body is not for sexual immorality before the Lord. Well, there are some things that are natural to the human body. Uh, One is food. Food is natural to the human body. In fact, God made food for man, food for man to nourish his body. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, God told Adam, what? Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. So food for the stomach and the stomach for food. There are some things that are natural to the human body. One is uh, food. However, there are other things that are not natural uh, to the human body. One is sexual immorality. What Paul is saying is this, engaging in sexual immorality is unnatural to the body. Just as it would be uh, uh, like putting something other than food in your stomach. You know, instead of uh, stomach, uh, it's in your stomach, instead of putting food, you put dirt or kerosene or Play-Doh or whatever, you know, things that people uh, put in sometimes. Uh, and they're like, whoa, this is like, this is really not what my stomach was made for. And so um, 
sexual immorality will destroy you just as drinking kerosene or dirt or whatever will destroy your stomach. It's, it's unnatural to the body. The body was not made for that. So verse 14 says, And God both raised up the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. What's he saying? He's saying your body wasn't made to have sex outside of marriage. Your bodies were made to one day be raised up incorruptible to be with God forever. And, and, and by taking your body and, and using it in that way, you are defiling that which is going to be raised up incorruptible someday to be with the Lord. And so then he continues in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. C.S. Lewis, the uh, famous Christian writer who lived in, his ministry was in the 50s and I believe the 60s. He lived in England. Well, he shocked a church somewhere in very proper England when he got into the pulpit and he taught on these verses and he told the church, what if I uh, walked down from this pulpit and grabbed one of the women in the church and started having sex with her right in front of this whole church, right in front of all of you? People are like, <laughs> you know, this is not what you said in England in a church in the 1950s. And then he continued, because as a Christian, you have been joined with the Lord. Uh, when you become a Christian, there's a su supernatural union between you and the Lord. And, and because that has happened, you are bringing Jesus right into the very bed uh, where your sexual immorality is taking a place. In other words, um, uh, you know, if I were to do that in front of you, I want you to know that's the same thing that you do when you have sex outside of marriage because the Bible says here, again, verse 15, uh, you have been joined uh, to uh, the Lord. Uh, you are bringing Jesus into that bed of sexual immorality with you. That's what he is saying. And, and it's like, since you're members of one body, the body of Christ, it, it's, it's literally like having uh, sex before the body of Christ with, you know, outside of, of, of the sanctity of, of marriage. And he was right. He was right. They may have been shocked, but he was right. Again, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and uh, make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Listen, I said this a couple weeks ago. Sex is a beautiful, wonderful thing. It is an enormous blessing. It is, has been created by God. It's been blessed by God. It's been sanctified by God. When it happens between one man and one woman in marriage. 
Again, you see it says here, um, do you not know, in verse 16, do you not know that he who is joined to the harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. That's referring to Adam and Eve. The two shall become uh, one uh, flesh. And, and so my wife Stephanie and I, after our marriage, uh, when our marriage was consummated, we became one flesh. And that's one of the most beautiful things that can happen in a marriage, uh, that the two, uh, Stephanie and I, are part of each other. In other words, today, here in church, even though we're uh, apart from each other physically, uh, the Bible says that we are part of each other because of the, of the consummation of our relationship. The problem is, and this is where Paul is going with this, and this gets really, really heavy, is when a woman joins herself with one man and then another and then another, she is left part of herself with three different men. When a man joins with another woman and then another woman and then another woman, he is left part of himself with three different women. And so that leads to all kinds of emotional weirdness and distress in the heart of a man or woman and, and insecurity and depression. You know, I read this article uh, by this doctor, and he, he started uh, noticing a very disturbing pattern. He lived right outside a college town, and uh, young women, unmarried, would come into him for birth control. And, and he, he noticed this very disturbing pattern that they would follow up with a visit for antidepressants. And that it is so common. And, and that is a direct result of, of violating um, the, this, this holy thing, sexual relations which God has created for our good. But violating it will lead to all kinds of weirdness. A woman was made by God to join herself to one man and become one flesh. She was not made by God to join herself to eight men or three men or 50 uh, eight men are now a part of her. No human being can go through that and remain unaffected. Impossible. Now listen, I know I'm getting like ridiculously graphic here, okay? But, but it, it, the word of God is graphic and they're being graphic in the public schools. If only they're being graphic and they're teaching what is completely opposite to what I am saying. We are not animals who go around copulating with any number of mates and remain unaffected by it. That's animals. That's not human beings made in the image of God. And, and, and so we were made in the image of God, and even as God made the food for the stomach and the stomach for food, he made, uh, God made man w w to be with one woman, one woman with one man, and and. and the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. An animal doesn't do anything to its soul. It doesn't have a soul. A, a human being will destroy its soul, his or her soul. That's what the, the word of God says. Now, the world will tell you there's no need to wait for marriage. Sex is a natural thing. It is a normal bodily function that should not be resisted. Wrong. The Word of God says that sex is a spiritual thing supremely. It's, it's also a, a, a physical thing, but supremely it is a spiritual thing, and sex outside of marriage can destroy 
your soul. Now, is there grace for that? Thank God for many of us in this room. <laughs> there is grace for that. And the wonderful thing is, is, as we've already talked about, we don't even have to, you know, to, to work to be restored from that. It, we can just accept the grace. Will there always be consequences? Yes, more on that in a little bit. But, but, uh, but there can be grace. We can be restored spiritually. We, 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 that, that insecurity, that depression, that weirdness, that, that all, all that stuff that happened in, in, in our souls because of um, operating in the, you know, in the area of sexuality outside of God's word, uh, that, that can really be mitigated, if not eliminated, spiritually, where we can be restored and have a normal relationship with God and people, have a normal relationship. Men and women can actually have normal relationships with one another, which is, which is literally, according to the Word of God, it's impossible to do after they have violated the Word of God in this area. But it's altogether possible through Christ So anyway, what's a man or woman supposed to do when they are tempted with sexual immorality? Are they supposed to stare it in the face and just slay it? Ah, you know, the devil comes, I'm going to slay him. I'm going to, you know, me and the word of God. I'm going to knock him, punch him in the face. Are they supposed to study it, analyze it, and ponder over it and try to sort of figure out what's a realistic, really smart way, logical way to get out of this situation? Are they supposed to get a little taste of it to see if they really like it or not? Ever heard that one before? No, verse 18 says, flee sexual immorality. Flee. I was really, you know, studying and preparing uh, and sort of meditating on, on just those three words, flee sexual morality. And it's so clear. I mean, there's the sense there that, you know, you forget about everything else. You just get out of there. So forget about the goodbyes. Forget about being polite. Even forget about your possessions. You get out of there. And, and I, I really love the story of Joseph. If you look at it carefully, uh, Joseph in the Old Testament uh, was, uh, Potiphar's wife was tempting him. She just came right out and said, lie with me. <laughs> she was a, a shameless woman. And, and then it says day after day. And, and at the very beginning, he explained to her why. You know, At the very beginning, he said, look, I could never do such a wicked thing uh, to your to your husband and to and to God, but she kept on going, and then after a while, um, she grabbed his garment. And let me tell you what you don't see in that story. After she grabbed his garment, you don't see Joseph saying, "You know, I really think uh, it's this could lead to something bad." and and that's my garment, and you know, you really don't have, you are the, uh, the owner's wife, and, and no, he fleed. In fact, he left the garment there. He left it there. He left the evidence with, uh, uh, with her. 
In other words, it was so important to flee, he didn't even say, oh, gee, you know, if I leave that there, they're going to think I did something wrong. No, he fleed. That's how important it is to flee uh, sexual immorality. No goodbyes. No, I'll call you later. No, you know, I, I, boy, my purse is somewhere around here. I have $500 in it or my Gucci jacket or whatever. No, take off. You know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not worth it. You know, you re- literally get this picture of someone running for their life because guess, that, guess what? That's true. The proverb says, and the moral woman will le- leave you as a crust of bread. You're running for your life. And a moral man, women, woman, will lead you, leave you as a crust of bread. I just love that description because it's so true. And how, how oftentimes I'm counseling someone, I'm, I'm counseling someone who's been reduced to a crust of bread because of this particular thing we're, we're discussing today. And so there's this, uh, there's this picture of people just running for their lives, flee sexual immorality. You know, it's like those stories in the Old Testament uh, where you have these stories about, you know, cities which were um, attacked and the people just fleed for their life and they left everything behind them, all their possessions, everything. Why? Because their life was at stake. So when it comes to being tempted in the area of sexual morality, your life is at stake. You need to flee. Please don't think you're stronger than that temptation. Don't be as a fool like so many have been throughout history and think you're strong enough. Flee. So then it says, after flee sexual morality, it says, every sin that a man does is outside the body, But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So what does that mean? Well, let's think about some other sins. Pride, lying, stealing, cheating, gossip, false witness, unbelief. None of them are a direct attack against your physical body. Now, there are other sins which indirectly will affect your physical body. Anxiety, which by the way is sin, it's unbelief. Uh, stress, that type of thing over time that will affect your physical body. What Paul is saying is that sexual immorality is a direct attack against the physical body. Now, of course, man throughout history, is, has, rather than believing uh, in this word and just accepting it, uh, has tried to test it, and, and what do we have today? I was reading the statistics for sexually transmitted diseases. It's expected that one out of every two Americans uh, will have, at some point in their life, a sexually transmitted disease. I read somewhere else that something like 65 million uh, Americans have herpes, which, by the way, is just one of a long list. You know, you hear about herpes, HIV, and hepatitis. Those are just the top of the list. There's, there's many others where there came from. There's over 100. And, and, and many of them, by the way, it, it are considered the leading cause now, the leading risk, rather, of cancer. Now, if you think this is just a preacher exaggerating, feel free to come to me after the church. I will set you up with a woman or a man who will tell you firsthand about their own life and their own experience. This is real stuff. It's just the word of God. It's not like God didn't tell us all about this and warn us. 
But so I, I read another statistics that something like, um, uh, you know, one out of four men and women have herpes, and by the year 2025, it's going to be one out of two. For, for women, for men, uh, it's going to be about 40%, which is almost one out of two. But, but that's, that's where our society is going. And, and, of course, you know, what does society tell you? Well, this is a natural function, so you be go better do it. And by the way, uh, condoms will protect you. Condoms are not a complete protection against sexually transmitted diseases. I was e even going to CDC, the Center for Disease Control, the number one uh, uh, institution for, um, for the sort of the development of, uh, of for the prevention of these diseases, many of them, by the way, are, are incurable. There's not a cure. Uh, and it, it says right there in it that condoms are only, a, like they use stuff like a substantial protection. Now, if you knew that someone who you were having sex with uh, outside of marriage uh, had that, uh, had a disease, a sexually transmitted disease, and that a, a condom was a substantial protection, are you going to do it? Of course not, but yet that's what our children are being told in, in, in schools, and that's why, why society is being lied to all over the word. Thank God for the word of God, where we can finally go somewhere and, and have the truth be told to us. Amen? <laughs> all right. Um, so, verses, verse 18, every uh, sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual morality sins against his own body. And again, thank God that there is grace in this area. Thank God that God accepts us regardless of what we've inflicted on our body. But it says in verse um, 19, it says, Or do you not know that your uh, body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So I want to end with this, which is uh, a challenging message, which is a beautiful message, which is an exciting message, which is a glorious message. Uh, this word here says that, that we are to glorify God with our bodies, that we're supposed to use the members of our bodies to glorify him. By the way, when you are having, uh, with the right spirit, uh, sexual relationships uh, with your spouse within marriage, you are glorifying God with your body. You are being an accurate representation uh, you're doing it in private, but to the world and to the spiritual world of how it's supposed to be done. <laughs> but not only um, it, it, with all our menders. In other words, he, he's saying um, glorify God in our body. And so I, I'm to take these hands and I'm supposed to use them to glorify God. I'm supposed to come into church. I'm supposed to clap my hands because God is so good and he's done such a great work that, that, that he has freed me from my sins and, and we can use these hands to do any number of things, uh, whether it's glorifying him with our hands, you know, digging a ditch at work or if it's going to Peru this summer and digging a ditch 
uh, we're, we're digging a ditch down there. We're digging for, for a school building. And, and so uh, with our tongues, uh, just praising his name, the, Bi the Bible says that even with our tongue, we can just change the whole course of our life. But guess uh, for, for evil, but we can also change the whole course of our life for good. Not only that, uh, uh, the lives of those around us glorifying God uh, with our tongues, with our hands, lifting them to the Lord, um, with our eyes on, on what we choose to behold, uh, with our feet rushing into the body of Christ to, to feed off the body of Christ. That is a glorifying thing to do. That's glorifying God uh, with your body. So from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, worshiping, worshiping God with the members of your body, glorifying God in your body and in your spirit. Verse 20 says, for you were bought at a price. We are not our own. We have no right to do with our bodies or our lives what we want to. We can only do, if we're Christian, if Jesus is our Lord, we can only do that which the Lord has called us to do and be. Glorify um, God with your body. You've been brought, bought, purchased at a price. Jesus paid such a high price, such an incredible price, so that we, and glorify him with our bodies and our lives. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that by the Holy Spirit we can just truly absorb this word, Lord. And God, I there, there's so many of us in this room who have who have violated our own bodies by violating your word in this area, Lord. We, we thank you for grace. We thank you for the, the, the core of Paul's message. That there's no possible way we can undo what we have done in our lives. But Jesus Christ has undid it for us. We thank you for that. God, uh, as we read earlier, I just pray, Lord, that we would be strengthened in grace today because of your, your grace, that we would go walk in it in strength by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who puts that bad taste in our mouth, who compels us to a different life a wonderful life, a blessed life, a used life, a life in which we're glorifying you, Lord, with the members of our body, with our life.
Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for each and every person here, Lord. Help us all to open up our hearts, ears, and minds to the fullness of your grace, to the fullness of your power, Lord. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We can't do it in our own strength. We need you. God, we look forward, according to the promise of your word, to leaving this room today and living in victory in this area of our lives. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.